As you all are um, turning there, I want to go to apologize for the uh, late start tonight. That's uh, if you're new with us, and we don't can't say that we haven't done it before. But sometimes projectors don't work, and I am electronically incompetent completely. So that's on me. So if you leave here and you're like they don't have their stuff together, you're right. I don't. So that's uh, you can put that on me. Um, but I, I, I am sorry for that. But you know, I just can't help but think, and I don't, I don't believe that, like, the devil, like, you know, possesses wires and, like, somehow jacks up electronics. But, like, I do think, I mean, I guess he possibly could, but the, the, I, I think that there is a way in which when we're distracted that, that right now the enemy could come in. And maybe for some of you, you're so close uh, to surrendering to Christ. For those of you that are already saved people, maybe you're so close to find, finally laying down um, that sin, you're finally, you're, you're so close, and I would just pray, I'm going to pray for us now, that, that the distractions of tonight would, would just be cleared, that we would focus in, it's only three verses tonight, so it should only go about 50 minutes, um, and uh, we'll be, and we'll, we'll sing and celebrate, so let's, uh, let's just pray towards that end, so man, believers in this room, like, let's, let's press in right now, let's pray for our brothers and sisters, and for those that might not know Christ, let's pray that his word would move powerfully. Um, Father, thank you so much, man, for this, just a a space to meet and worship. Thank you um, for opportunities to uh, join on your great commission um, with crew. We're so thankful for our partnership with them. I'm thankful that um, there's just people here that that want to hear your word. I pray right now that that you would move, you would speak clearly, that I would get out of the way, and that people would meet you um, in your word tonight. Father, we need your help. We are, it's late in the semester. It's cold in here. It's distracting. <laughs> Electronics have, have acted weird. So, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, clear the fog, that, that we would see you uh, tonight. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. So, whenever we look at this, these last, these second to last, really, passage in 2 Timothy, uh, these three verses are going to be really familiar for some of you that, that know your Bibles. You've probably heard before, I fought the good fight I finished the race, I kept the faith, right? Like we've all probably heard that before. But I just want to reiterate before we look at these last three verses, consider this again, that this is kind of the last, this is the last letter that Paul writes. This is, this is it. It started the last chapter and really next, after Thanksgiving break, we're going to have to go through all the personal greetings. So if you really want to see a show, watch me try to talk about just names for 30 minutes. That'll be interesting. Um, but, but really, this is the last bit of content that, that he gives us. And this is what, he's on death row. He's about to die. Um, and this is it. He, he gives this for us. So I, I think it would be appropriate for those of us now, 21st century, you know, years after Paul even wrote this and years after he died, I want us just to spend a moment thinking that you are going to die. Everybody, I would think, in here is pretty sure that people will die today, right? Everybody think that somebody will die? People maybe even more specifically would say that you believe that somebody your age will die today? That, that maybe this hour, that maybe even somebody your age in West Virginia, maybe, would die? And, and the reason why I say let me just bring everybody down, but I want you to think that Everybody agrees that somebody will die, but if you are generally healthy and generally safe, usually we don't consider that it could be us. 
Is that fair? That's the only one? Like, I know that 25-year-old, maybe even 25-year-old named Dustin tonight could die. I don't really think it's going to be me. Is it, is it fair to say that everybody assumes that they will live a long life and die an old man, an old woman? Maybe, right? I mean, when you think about your life, you don't think that you're going down at 35, right? Um, and, and really, the reason I bring this up is not just to be morbid, but I want the, the reality that, like, you really do have one life and you really are going to die. I want it to level the playing field a bit. Because when you realize you don't have that long on earth, it, it's funny how, how, how things kind of fade in importance. You know, like, like your, your major maybe doesn't matter as much. Um, like your five-year plan, you're worrying about how am I going to get these things straight to make this thing work out, to get that person with me so I can do this, this whole thing. Um, the, the strained relationship or friendship, you know, it kind of puts these things in light. Like you got one shot at this life. And really, before we go into this passage, I just want you to realize your position before God, because if you are alive right now, it's because he gave you today. He's the author of life. He's also the author of your death. Meaning, he could, he could, he could, he could take you home tonight. In this message, and in these three verses, Paul's going to consider his end. He knows that it's coming. You know, we don't have the, I don't know if you can call this luxury, we don't really have the luxury of knowing that in three weeks we're going to be, you know, be decapitated. We don't, we don't know that in three weeks we're going to die. So, you know, if you knew that, you'd be, you'd be living a lot more aggressively, right? Is it fair to say? Like, if you knew in three weeks you were going to die, how many people would you be sharing your faith with? How quickly would you reconcile? How, how much more seriously would you take your holiness and purity? I mean... And Paul knows this, and, and, and this is, it's worth saying. One day we are going to die. One day we're going to see our faith as sight. You're going to find out, if you aren't a Christian, that there really is an afterlife. And that one day could be any day. And I think it's worth, before we look at what Paul's about to say about his end of his life, we've got to consider, at some point, even if it's not right now, at some point, you are going to be at the end of your life. So let's look at the text. If you remember last week, we talked about the charge that Paul had for us. So this passage in verse 6 starts with a 4, so we can't just skip ahead and not look as as to what it says before that. So here's what it says, verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. That first phrase there, as for you, as for us, what are we called to as the people of God? And we can break down all of these phrases, but it's all kind of culminated in that last one. We are called to fulfill our ministries. And remember, we didn't say it's how many things we volunteer for. It's not how many meetings you go to throughout the week. Your ministry, the people that God has put in your life that are far from God, that you are supposed to step into with love and grace. Ultimately, it comes down to these people. And this is what we are called to do. We could stop right there and pray. <laughs> and leave here, hopefully fired up, that we're called to this. But it's worth understanding. You have a charge Like, when you become a Christian, Jesus is in charge of you. And then Paul, right after this, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Then he says this, look at verse 6. For 
I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. And I've kept the faith. So, what he's saying, work with me, what he's saying after four is the grounding, the, the, the emphasis, the motivation for fulfilling your ministry. Do you see that? That the word for is there to say that what's coming after this is the reason you should do what's before it. Okay? The reason that we should not follow our passions, the reason that we should not turn from the truth as some people did in last week's message, we, the reason we should be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill our ministries are two reasons. First one, Paul says, Timothy, you've got to do this, and here's why. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Paul's describing his state in some way. Listen, I can't, like, using good rhetoric and persuasive communication in some performance here, convince you that you should go fulfill your ministry. But somehow, through the Spirit, through His Word, the fact that Paul, God through Paul is telling you that Paul was already being poured out as a drink offering, the state that Paul is in, in some way should be clicking with you, reborn people. This drink offering that he's talking about, what's he talking about? Drink offering. Has its roots in the Old Testament. Look at Numbers 15.10. You've got to turn there. This should be on the screen. It says this. This is a law that um, God is giving to the people of Israel. It says this. And you shall offer for the drink offering half a hen of wine as a food offering, pleasing aroma to the Lord. The drink offering, and if you take notes, this will be easy to help you. The drink offering was just one way that God prescribed people in the Old Covenant, so before Christ came, to worship Him, to please Him. He, this is just a way he, he worked. He said this is a thing that you can do, is offer your drink offering. And, and some commentators say that what happened was they put their burnt offering, so they brought like the, the best of their um, livestock, and they, they put it up on the altar, and then for their drink offering, their half a hint of wine, they would get it, they would pour it all over. It was like the finishing touch. Like, here it is, Lord, like, all for you. I'm pouring it out. So it's interesting to think about it, because... What, what God was saying is not that he just liked lambs and liked wine, okay? What he's saying is you are giving to me, you are showing to me the fruit of your labor and how I'm, you're giving this to me first. So you think these, these people would raise livestock and then they would take the, the best one and they would offer it up. And then they would work the ground and, and eventually probably grow grapes. And then these grapes would be crushed. And then the, the crushed fruit would become wine or just keep being grape juice, right? And um, they would offer these things. They did the work. They're saying, Lord, this is yours. My work. And, and, and connecting this back to Paul, here's what some people say. They say that Paul most likely saw his life's work as the burnt offering. So his body... Here it is, Lord. I'm giving it to you at the end of my life. And then he saw, this is crazy, saw the drink offering that was poured on top, almost like the icing on the cake of the life of sacrifice because his blood's about to be spilled. It's like, I've been living for you, been burning this offering, God. I've been giving it all that I have. And it's, I'm at the end, and, and Timothy, I want you to know, I'm already being poured out. 
He's on death row. He knows his blood's about to be spilled for the mission. In Philippians 2.17, Paul says this again. And it's, this is interesting because here he's talking about the, the, the imminent reality that he will be a drink offering. And then in Philippians 2.17, he's talking about the, the potential of it coming. It says this, even if I am to be poured out. So listen, even if I am to be. So he's saying if it's coming. Poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul's saying, it would be my joy, church in Philippi, the people that I love, for my blood to be spilled on the sacrificial offering of your faith. It would be my joy. It would be my joy for my life to be poured out for others' faith. So let's connect these and summarize here. Since Jesus, we know this, new covenant now, right? We're not still, nobody brought in their wine and burnt offerings tonight, right? We're not doing that. Since Jesus came in and ended all sacrifice of the old covenant, we now have new covenant. So after Jesus died and rose again, insight into what these sacrifices look like in the age of the church. Here's what it is. Our lives become the sacrifice on the altar of the gospel, Whatever it takes to please God by obeying and loving Him, by joining His great commission. You see, Paul saw his current state of awaiting death for the faith of all peoples and nations as the final pouring out on the whole work of his life that he sacrificed for the kingdom of God. He's saying somehow, like reborn people right here, somehow that should be moving in you. Like, I I don't feel uncomfortable saying this. If you are a Christian, that should make you want to do that too. You should be thinking, man, what is, what is my life? Am I, am I burning at the altar? Am I giving it all for these people who don't... Am I, am I working for my brothers and sisters and encouraging their faith? Am I working for the faith of people who have not yet come to Christ? This is the reason that we fulfill our ministries. I want you to see one more thing before we move on. Paul says that he's already being poured out. So Paul isn't currently bleeding. Most likely. I mean, I don't think he's... In the moment, bleeding. So at this point, Paul had not died yet because he was literally writing the letter, okay? Can't be, yeah, you get that. Paul hadn't died yet, but he knew his final pouring out would happen. But the already dead nature of his life should be motivating us. He's not just saying, I will be poured out. He's saying, Timothy, it's at the end, I'm already being poured out. So if you're a Christian and you have died with Christ, you've died. To self, you're already dead. And now, because we are already dead, we can joyfully sacrifice our own lives for the sake of other people and as worship to Christ, just like that burnt offering was. Don't you want that? Like, don't you want to be able to look at the end of your life and be able to say, like, here's my life offering? Like, pour out my blood on top of the burnt offering, Lord. Like, I hope this is pleasing to you. He says, the time of my departure has come. And Paul knew that he would not survive this prison sentence. He knew that he would be leaving reality and life as he knew it to see true reality and true life. He was departing his earthly mission, his master and Lord who saved him, awaiting to greet him. Like, think about this, guys. It's not just some ancient text that has no relevance for you. If you are in Christ, you really, really are. Like, your life is a sacrifice to something. And I pray that if you're in Christ, you're not just living your life as a sacrifice for yourself. 
Because one day, your departure is really going to come. And you're really going to have to give an account. And people are really going to say, that person's life was all about blank. So in this, in this, two questions we've got to consider. First one is this. How should these two assertions by Paul compel us to persevere in this life of ministry sacrifice for the sake of others? Is that fair? Since it says for there, we've got to ask, how, how should this do that in us? Here's a, here's a few thoughts. Maybe we should see the urgency of this message to keep going. I mean, Timothy would have literally been getting a letter from the greatest church planner ever and knowing he's about to die. Can you imagine what that would do in young Timothy? Like, young Timothy who's not in jail, he's like, oh man, I, I gotta... I gotta do something about this. And and hopefully it's speaking with that same force to you right now because hopefully your motivation is right now, okay, it's it's my turn. It's my turn because if a whole generation of Christians start living life for themselves and the gospel doesn't get passed down. We must know that all of our greatest heroes of the faith will die and we won't be able to rely on them anymore. And in a campus ministry context, you see this very plainly, is that we can't just rely on the older ones. And listen, like you seniors, pass it down. Like you need to be investing. Freshmen, don't rely on the older people. Your job is to keep this thing going. What's your four years of college? What is your life going to be sacrificed on the altar of? The altar of academics, the altar of planning your future, on the altar of the faith of others. So the next question we've got to consider is just personally for you. How do we consider our own lives and deaths in light of these realities for Paul? Are we currently pouring out our lives like an offering to the Lord? We should be aware that we don't actually know the time of our departure, so we have to live in light of knowing that we will die. And not just die, die and give an account. Like, don't let, gosh, it's right now, we're not performing here, this is, brothers and sisters gathering and hopefully listening to the Lord through His Word. Ask yourself, what is your life actually about? You've got to ask these things. Psalm 39.4 says this, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me see how fleeting I am. Psalm 90 verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. The Lord gives us every day that we have on this earth. Every day is meant to be worked for the glory of God and given as an offering to Him. You ever prayed that? Like, Lord, teach me to number my days. Do, do, you, all, do you all wake up thinking, Lord, you, you've given me this day. You go to bed thinking, God, thank you for another day. Teach us to number them. So in light of the departure is coming, he's going to be poured out, then he says these three things about his life. He says this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. So in these phrases, you kind of hear echoes of, the, of chapter 2, if you all remember that, that we are soldiers, that we are athletes, we've been entrusted with this gospel. So if you look at that first statement, I have fought the good fight, should make you kind of think of Christians as being soldiers, right? Like soldiers fight fights, right? So this should echo like... He, Paul's writing, Timothy, right now you're a soldier, and at the end of your life, I'm hoping that you're going to be able to say that you have fought the good fight. And remember, this review here, you remember what good soldiers do? 
They share in suffering, each other's suffering. Remember, it was that you get one of us, you got us all mentality. Paul is finishing up his share of suffering for the cause of Christ. He's saying, be a good soldier in Timothy. I'm at the end. I fought the good fight. It's over for me. Remember, good soldiers, they stay focused. They do not get entangled by civilian pursuits. Nothing but the mission gets our fullest attention. And Paul is finished focusing on the truth being passed down. Don't you want to die like that, guys? Like, this is what you want? You want to be able to say, I fought the good fight? I didn't spend my life pursuing things that didn't matter? And remember, good soldiers, they aim to please the commanding officer. Paul wants to hear from Jesus, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Then he moves on. He says, not only have I fought the good fight, I have finished the race. You remember, Christians are not just good soldiers, they're good athletes. They, they work hard, practicing to be the best. They want to win, chasing after the goal of seeing Jesus face to face. And you remember this, we talked about this in chapter 2. They are losers to the world. Remember? But if you win this race for Christ, it's not going to look like a win for the world. The most influential man in Christian history. You think about this. Like, the Pharisee of Pharisees, he was way up in the Sanhedrin. This guy was brilliant, influential. Then he converts to Christ and plants churches and moves the gospel. And now here he is, alone in a jail. Like, that's not a highly esteemed way to end, right? Like, you would think it should be a big, awesome funeral celebrating his life. But this most influential man, here he is. It's in jail. He says, not only have I fought the good fight, not only have I finished the race, I've kept the faith. We have learned that Paul was entrusted the gospel by God to give to Timothy, to give to whoever was next. Paul has kept the faith. He kept believing. He kept suffering. He kept passing it down. He kept fighting. He kept running. This was the end, and Paul can somehow confidently say, I still believe in Christ and His finished work for me. You realize this. It's a fight to keep your faith. My, my uh, father-in-law, he, he's a football coach, so sometimes when he's trying to encourage me, he uses like little you know, coach phrases. And um, one of the ones that he uses is really helpful for me. He always tells me, in every text, he always says, Keep the faith. Like, I'll talk to him, man, this is going on, this is hard. Your daughter's awesome, but still, this is hard. And, and then he says, something, something, something. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. No matter what, listen to me. No matter what you brought in, no matter what relational strains you're going through right now, listen, keep the faith. I was talking to a sister in Christ today, and we are mourning over past friends that at one point looked like they were following Christ and now they, they haven't kept the faith. Like, don't champion eternal security to the point where you think that perseverance doesn't matter. Knowing you are eternally secure in Christ works itself out in keeping the faith. Consider your life so far. Like, think about all you've gone through. I don't know all your stories. Think about all you've gone through. And right here, you're still here. All those times where you could have given up. All those times where you could have thrown in the towel. Man, just think of my life in college. All these moments of doubt. And, and when I slipped into sin even before college and high school and all of these things. And somehow, here I am. And I can confidently say, 
I believe in Jesus. Keep the faith. And here's the result of all of this. Look at verse 8. The result of the fighting, the result of the running, the result of the keeping, and the result of the ending. He says this, henceforth. Now that is a poetic word. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So henceforth, I'm not going to lie to you, had to look up what that meant. Means this, from this time on, he's saying from this time on, because I've kept the faith, because I've kept fighting, yeah, things got hard, I was shipwrecked, I was, I was a persecutor of the church, I had, I had baggage, I had thorns in my flesh, things were hard. They tried to kill me a lot. He's saying, from this point on, Timothy, I want you to know, there's a crown laid up for me. Don't deny this in your heart. Don't, please don't deny that you need to know. You need to finish. You don't start a marathon and stop at mile 10 and get a crown. You don't. There's a crown laid up for Paul. Somehow this is giving him motivation. He's thinking, I'm going to get... Like, sometimes we have a, a tendency to like put Paul on this big pedestal. and We should because he's a boss. But like, at the end of his life, he's probably still scared. Like, can you imagine? Like, I've got, I feel like I have a lot of faith in Christ, but if I knew that three weeks from now my head's being chopped off for it, I'm not exactly like, you know, probably bold in that moment. Maybe some of you all are, but I'm not. This stuff scares me. I think about how easy my faith gets thrown off. How easy I, I come home and I'm like, oh, all this is going to be over. I'll never be able to get over this. This is too hard. Maybe that's you all here. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, how am I going to finish is that crown really for me? The, the, the crown of righteousness. This is a couple thoughts on this. It is our reward for finishing with righteousness. It is, some people say, our, our final and perfect righteousness that's given to us. The, or the completion of our salvation. That Christ began a good work. He started that race in you. And one day when you finish the race and you finish the fight, here's, here's the crown, my child. It's over. It's, righteousness is yours. Either way, we're going to be rewarded for the righteousness that God has worked in us, and we will be perfected in righteousness when we're glorified. Consider your end. He says, which the Lord, the righteous judge. So the Lord is righteous, the one who gave us in him the righteousness of God and continues to work that in us as we kill sin and as we stay on mission. But he's also judge, which means all of his judgments are righteous. He's the one that's watching over his word, watching over his work, and is holding us responsible for the way that we fight, and the way that we run, and the way that we keep. Does that bug you guys? One day you're going to stand before him. All of us. I don't know how it works. There's like a huge line, and we're all waiting, or somehow in his omnipotence and omnipresence, he sees all of us at one. I don't know. But it's going to happen. Please don't, please don't check out right now. Please. I know it's getting late. Understand this. You will stand before him. Is it going to be Dustin started out hot at 19, kept going in ministry at 25, 
35, things got hard, suffering came in, and he chucked the whole thing out. The day is coming. We'll really see if our faith is real. We will get the reward for keeping our faith in Christ. And and listen, some of you all, and I appreciate you guys, but some of you all are real theological. And you're sitting here thinking, okay, I get that there's rewards in the crown, but my reward is Christ. Right? Anybody? It's okay, admit it. You're like, come on, rewards? I don't need those. Right? Don't get weird about that. First of all, here's the reason why. The Bible says you get them. It's like, don't tell God he doesn't know what he's doing. Okay? God knows that Christ is a reward, but he's also saying, I've got a crown for you. This is true. He's wisely decided to give us rewards, listen, as a means of us humbly, as, as we humbly accept them, knowing that this will somehow work in us a better joy and a better glorifying of God. Isn't that great? He gives good gifts. He's going to give us a crown if we finish. And somehow that's going to work more joy in us and more glory for him. And listen, I hope that I join those elders in Revelation that are throwing all of my rewards down at his feet. I hope. I know the elders do. It doesn't say we all do. I hope I do. I can't imagine me like, oh, this one's cool, and I'm trying to wear all these, right? Like, I hope I see this, and I, and I don't see the crown of righteousness, and I don't think, man, I really nailed it. The whole life. Look at me. Then Paul shifts gears. Look at this. And he will award to me on that day, and he says, and not only to me. Listen, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This beautiful, righteous crown is for everybody who loved his appearing. So you love everything that you've learned about his first appearing, that Christ really came as the God-man to save sinners. You can't wait to see him again. You, you long for him. Are you guys there? Like, do you long to see him? Are you, you love that he came the first time and you know he's coming again. You can't, we just can't wait to get there. Do you want Jesus. There's a really simple but profound quote that this, this, this guy's dead now, but he said this to me one time. <laughs> it struck me. He says, You want to know what Jesus looks like? So most of us say, Yeah. He says, Just be patient. You will. Now, listen, that's simple, but that's big. You want to know what Jesus looks like? You want to love as a peer? You want that? Just be patient. Love his appearing. And this is where I'm going to do a little bit of work before we sing. I, I want to work, hopefully, preaching this gospel to you right now. So that right now in you, those of us that have had your, has had your love for God dulled, and, and you're, you're tired, and there's no zeal for God right now, I, I want you to be humbled first. Like, think of all your wasted years and moments, even maybe in moments this semester. Think about the days you woke up and didn't spend any time cherishing Jesus. That kind of scares me. Because I'm like, if I'm going to be held accountable for every word, every deed, how's this going to work? I know that there's in Christ there's no condemnation, but in some way if I'm given an account, what does that look like? Listen, I've got no good answers. This is rhetorical. What, What does that mean? We give an account? Every is like some kind of weird highlight reel in my life. We're like... Missed me here, didn't cherish me here, lost faith there, if you would have known here. I don't know. It scares me to give an account, but, but I comfort you here. 
think about the Apostle Paul. You imagine his life, like, you imagine the guilt that he sometimes carried? Like, this is the dude who got saved by Jesus coming and saying, why are you persecuting me? In the flesh, like, hey, you, why are you persecuting me? And this same Paul who would have carried that much guilt can write and say, this crown is coming, it's for me, and it's for everyone that loves his appearing. Like, Paul spent most of his life persecuting Jesus' bride, and Paul still can't wait to see him. Let me tell you, if you're out of town and you hurt Courtney, there's no way you're going to look forward to my appearing. For real. Spent his whole life persecuting Jesus' bride, and in some ways worked grace in him so much, where Paul's like, I can't wait to get to him. This Jesus... As the band comes back up, I want you to just dwell on this before we get ready to sing. This Jesus, who we need to love and long for and beg that he would come back, he entered the battle of sin and evil and the devil, our own sin, fought for us with love and ultimately took the punishment on himself and rose in victory. He fought the good fight. And now he fights for his faithful as we, as we hate our sin and fight against evil in this world through his love. And he won it all for you. Stay, stay pressed in. He entered the race of human existence to win. He ran to chase down sinners. He ran to chase down you. And he ran the race to the cross, despising the shame, and he won for you. And now he runs with you. Even as you limp. He already finished this for us. Keep your eyes on him. Love is appearing. We're so close. And this Jesus, this is, this is the crazy part. This Jesus who demands... From us that we keep the faith in him for all of these promises to be true we must keep the faith to keep fighting as he fights we must keep the faith to keep running as he runs and we must keep the faith listen to love his appearing you can't love someone you don't have faith in and how's he going to do that like are you all there like you know that for him to keep fighting for us to actually finish we've got to somehow this is on you keep the faith how many times have you dropped the faith? How many times have you doubted that faith? Where are you in this? And the word of God speaks so beautifully on this. I need to say nothing else. I just want these to, to work on you right now. Listen to the end of Jude. He says this. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Listen. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. And look at this. All of this pressure, all of this fear of like, how are we going to keep? This is how Jude ends. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forever. This glorious Jesus that you keep your eyes on is the one that keeps you keeping the faith in him. Stay close and chase the crown. And when we get to that day, it will be glorious. Let's pray. Father, the only reason that we are still here the only reason that we are able to love you, the only reason we are able to keep the faith or keep fighting or 
keep running is because of your work. If it's up to us, we fail. If it's up to us, we stop running. We get knocked out. We don't keep anything. So, Father, I'm so thankful that in response to that, you sent your Son to do the human work for us and then give us that righteousness. So somehow tonight, God, I just pray that somehow in your word, you worked in us, and as we get ready to sing and long for you to send your Son back so we can love that appearing and our faith will be sight, I pray that we would pour out our lives on the altar of other people's faith and that we would do it joyfully. We can't do that on our own. We're scared. We're weak. We have tension. We can't do things right. So Father, we need your grace. May tonight be the night that we start living like that day is really coming. Father, help us. Amen.